this is the Krillcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And this is Manic Mondays. Not Monday. What do we do on Manic Mondays, Chris? Uh, We usually talk about um, some news story, some interesting topic, something that interests us in the news related to video gaming or entertainment. Um, In the past, we've covered, like, for example, xCloud. We've covered... What is this? Oh, I'm not on our channel. <laughs> Probably have to on our channel. Did you hear that music when I... Uh, oh, you hear that? What do you think of that? You like that? <laughs> I do. That's a beat I made when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, we've covered uh, Google Stadia. We've covered xCloud. We've covered... Um, <laughs> Pro Jared. <laughs> covered GameStop with Billy. And we covered Sands and Smash. So today, we're kind of going to revisit a topic that we've looked at one other time before. Yeah, well, so for Manic Mondays, we cover news topics. We've covered a lot of different news topics over the time frame that we've been doing the Krillcast. But uh, one of them that seems to be recurring and manages to get into a lot of our videos is Google Stadia. Mostly because mm-hmm. we're very ad- averse to this new platform being put out by Google. And they've just put out a new uh, plan that I'm really against. Um, very, very... Um, Stadia plays the game for you. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it is. It's like <laughs> So it's anticipating, based on your previous uh, way you played, like, let's say you've been playing for an hour, and normally when you get to a certain point, you would click the A button to jump. Google is going to anticipate you would do that to have... Mm-hmm. Negative lag, i.e. Yeah, so if you pay for I already service, suck at Call of Duty. Now I'm gonna suck even faster. I don't think that's what's gonna happen. I think what's gonna happen is everybody's gonna get slightly better, and that way people mm-hmm. will like Stadia slightly better. If you know what I mean? Uh, kind of like yeah, in, I get it. That's and Call of Duty. You know, dirty. I think that's what's gonna happen, and I think it's gonna be selectively better at selective specific times during the uh, time that you're playing. I don't think it's going to be all the time, if that makes sense. Okay. What makes you say that? Well, for one, if you were good all the time, you wouldn't believe it. But if you were lucky a couple times, let's say you're really bad at Call of Duty, um, if you're lucky a couple times, you might actually believe that truly... You got lucky, and you're slightly better on Google Stadia than you are on your actual uh, console. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And therefore, you may be more apt to use that. What do you think, yeah. Will? This could also just be PR speak, because I think the guy said that he's anticipating this one to two years from now. And that, you know, it's after the launch date of the Stadia, so he's, maybe he's just banking on people buying it in anticipation of being better on Stadia when they're not really planning on fulfilling that promise. Why would they... I guess I look at it this way, right? Call of Duty, when you used to host a match, you would get what was called... Um, or your aim would just be better. It wouldn't be like an aimbox. Aimbot is like cheating. But if you're the host, the lag essentially for you is zero. If you can somehow get that mm-hmm. lag to negative, and think about it, if you have cross-platform play, and the Stadia player is better than the console players due to this negative lag advantage, 
Yeah. People are going to want to play on Stadia, regardless of if it's actually the best platform. Yeah, it's, it's a dirty game that Google is playing, but that's the only game that Google plays. I do not like this um, at all. I think it's dirty, and I will never use Stadia if they implement something like this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use it because digital only. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. But can and you, you never own the games, and you have to pay a subscription for that little tiny thing. So, yeah, that's totally true. Let's see. Yeah, the Stadia thing, and then you, it says to remind you of April Fool's joke, which totally does. That oh, April Fool's joke. totally predicted this. <laughs> it, did, it really did. Yeah, it's it's. So why don't I pull up? Um, let me find it. Gamezone.com ran it. So uh, it was the Nvidia. GE4's GTX G Assist. That's right. NVIDIA G Assist. It totally reminds me of this because it was like almost identical to what they're saying. Except it's not like a CPU just playing for you. It's a CPU anticipating the next button click. And then if you don't make that button click, I, I'd be curious what it would do. You know what I mean? Explode. <laughs> Alright, let's see. I was on a website called Game Zone. Let's see. Where, where, what? I swear, oh, I'm gonna type Game Zone because they actually kind of talked about it. There it is. So yeah, they said, um, have you ever been torn between answering the door, finishing off a legendary performance in a multiplayer match? Well, that problem is still going to be a thing for you. But NVIDIA's GeForce GTX G-Assist will let you pretend for about two minutes that there's a solution to it. Once again, we have yet another fake product that feels like it could have been a legitimate real-world market or application in some form. But yet we are left to wonder about what could be. Well, here we are. Google Stadia is going to do it, and it's not going to require any extra hardware. Nope. And it's creepy. Yeah, it is. It's going to start sending you reminders. Why aren't you playing today, Will? It'll be like Duolingo, <laughs> right? Why didn't you practice your Spanish today? Yeah. <laughs> or are you going to play with me online and you're going to realize it's just the Stadia playing and not me? Right. <laughs> hey, Will, why aren't you talking? I am Google. <laughs> I talk. <laughs> why haven't you practiced in two days? <laughs> I love that these bird memes are so hilarious. Mm-hmm. Language you want to talk about the next topic? Um, do we have another topic on... Oh, yeah. Announcement of the PS5. Oh, my God. I was thinking we had to stretch this out to 10 minutes on just Stadia. Nope. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Why don't we wait till next week on the PS5? I think Stadia will get us to like 8-9 minutes, and then I don't want to have it too long. Okay. All right, we'll just call it good.
This is the Krillcast. Oh, Krillcast. Okay. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. This is Tuber Tuesday. And today we're going to be covering ABGN. Oh. Or houses. That was actually uh, Sino War, Mumford and Sons. Mm. Okay, ready? It's mm-hmm. a massacre. So I don't actually have the statistics pulled up like I usually do, so. He has. Whoa! <laughs> He's got uh, 3.13 million subscribers, just crossed the. eclipsed the 3 million subscriber mark this year. Um, he's been around since April 6th, 2006. Long time. He's got his own website, too. An introduction to Cinemasker. I didn't even know they had an introduction. Mm -hmm. This must be one of those private videos. We'll let him talk. <laughs> He's been doing a lot of stuff for a long time. <laughs> I watched some of his old videos in preparation for this one, and it's it's just funny how he just gets so fixated on how terrible a game is. Uh, like his Castlevania video, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that one. He actually has two parts to it. Um, because of how terrible the game is. <laughs> oh my god. I love how, how he has like a bajillion pens in his pocket. Oh, and then the, the truck one where the truck goes off the map, goes under the bridge. Although one of his best videos he ever did was... That was like a control room. Oh, that's right. He's got his own movie. Did you know that? He's got his own movie? Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. That is true. It's James Nintendo Nerd. Oh, what is your opinion on his content? Now that we've reviewed so many of the other YouTubers. <laughs> I know. It's like... And we've compared him to a lot of them. I mean, he's the original gaming YouTube channel, in my opinion. Like, that I really started watching. I, I didn't really watch gaming when I started YouTube. It was, like, kitty cat videos and, you know, <laughs> the, the generics, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Piano Cat, you know. Well, at the <laughs> same time, Piano Cat was getting subscribers. There's Angry Video Game Nerd. And I know I shouldn't have been watching him at the age I started watching him. Because he, he swore a lot. And <laughs> mm. But, uh, he swore a ton in his very first video I watched uh, yesterday. He did a video on, or with another guy, and the reason, this is the only reason I know about, I found out about Pat the NES Punk was because he did um, the most worthless but expensive video game cartridge like of all time. It's the uh, golden, um, what was it? Nintendo World Championships. The golden Nintendo World Championships cart. It's like a worthless, for, as far as gameplay goes, it's worthless, but as far as rarity and, and desire, the amount of people that desire it, it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. For no reason, basically. But. <laughs> Pat, the NES Punk. ABGN. Uh, where is it? There it is. Nintendo World Championships Gold Cart. 
So, they, what is this? Roast the angry video game nerd? Okay. But yeah, so they, they they have this channel where they collaborated. Obviously, it was on Cinemasker's channel. Mm. In the very gonna... beginning there where he's drinking that beer, that's part of the uh, Castlevania review. Is it? When this video, mm. he like I... ordered the Nintendo World Championship cart on eBay from a questionable seller. And then Pat the NES Punk comes over to validate whether it's real. And obviously it's not. That's a fake. <laughs> and then later on, he comes over. Da, 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 and he brings over his copy. He, and Video Game Nerd is like trying to trick him into giving him his copy. And then he gets there. He shows him this is what it's supposed to look like. He's like, oh my god, I want that. Give it to me. And then they're going through the box, right? And he goes, I'll trade you the entire box for that one card. I mean, come on, man. It's 40 games for one. And then, of course, mm -hmm. he's going through the thing, and, and jokingly, they find the gold card, which is worth ten times more than the gray card. And he's mm -hmm. like, he's like, sure, I'll trade you the box. He's like, take backsies, you know, like, no, you can't do take backsies. You already offered me the whole thing. And at the end, they play it to see who gets to keep it, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's like, no one should have this atrocity, and just smashes it with like a baseball bat. And he's like. Oh man! And then that, they, just, they had to put a disclaimer at the end. Um, where does it say? Let's see if they put it on. See what's on there or not. Maybe it's in the the um, description. Uh, nope, it's not there. It's it's somewhere in here that I know it was. They had to say that no no actual. Uh, cart was harmed in the making of the video. <laughs> hey, this is a much cleaner version of their song. What about you? What's your experience? Uh, I enjoy his content, like the uh, older reviews that he used to do. Um, just because um, they're entertaining to listen to, and he gets so animated talking about, you know, a really bad game, like uh, Jack, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah, a particularly yeah. good review. <laughs> Um, and those other things, those other videos are what I used to watch, and I haven't watched them in a really long time. I didn't realize that. Is it always been Cinemassacre, or is that a relatively recent change? It's been Cinemassacre for a while, um, but he puts AVGN in the titles. Mm -hmm. I thought it was amazing that he did the collab with Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> oh, yeah, I watched this. <laughs> several, several videos of Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. One, two, three videos at least. Episode 294, 164. He pretends he's a pizza guy like he's had a failed career or something. <laughs> and it's quite hilarious, I'm not going to lie. I, I thought uh, I thought he did a good job acting in the uh, Angry Video Game Nerd mm. episode. He's had um, Scott the Wise on there. Oops. I should probably actually title it correctly. Gotta keep putting Scott the Wise in the video so we keep getting more views. Yep. And they've reviewed Scott Pilgrim, of course, because it's Scott. Because <laughs> we have to, like, play on the names, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember how many people he's... Uh, but he's had, like... He's even had... Uh, who was the one he had recently? Um, is it Pat? Is it Patton? Is that the right name? No, he, he reviewed that weird um, Tiger game. Uh, what's this guy? PS4? Yeah, this guy. Yeah, Black Tiger? No, no, 
Great. Great. Yeah. Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, those are the angry uh, video game nerd. Gilbert uh, Gottfried. Videos. Can you believe that? He had Gilbert Gottfried on his channel? I guess when you get to a certain level, then, yeah. It's he's like, not uncommon. Like it's that. insane. Like He's just had tons and tons of people on his channel that you would never expect to see. Oh, JonTron? What? It's just like everybody we've covered has been on his channel. Mm-hmm. Except Pro Jared. Now I gotta look it up. Maybe he has been on the channel. Let's see. I don't think so. He needs to stay, steer clear. Yep. <laughs> Pro Jared creeped him out. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I bet, I bet Pro Jared would love to be on there, though. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a list of all the Cinemassacre guests somewhere. Unwanted guests. <laughs> Anyways, so this guy's like, this guy's style for his videos. It's it's pretty unique. He uh, basically gets on, talks about a retro game, complains about it, but actually shows footage of the game while he's complaining about it, and basically explains why he doesn't like the game. Um, and in some cases, he does talk about games he likes, like um, what's that one? Uh, Earthbound. He goes through. He goes, I really like this game, <laughs> or like Chex Quest. Which, I played that when I was a kid. That was a good game, actually. And there's like a cult following for Chex Quest. And he did a whole video on it. And he's like, I really can't say I dislike it. So we're going to do this other thing that has nothing to do with Chex Quest. <laughs> we're going to add, uh, was it Death Mode or something? Or I can't remember. It was like he enabled this other mode that normally you wouldn't have in Chex Quest that's in like a Doom clone. <laughs> it was like Annihilation Mode or something. But... He put it on, and it was, like, blood and guts, and there's, like, added our chainsaw, like, Gears of War-style <laughs> fighting, and, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, overall, I think AVGN has been one of the most unchanging, but also, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call him dynamic. I, don't, I wouldn't say he's dynamic at all. I'd say he's managed to build an audience on genuine and authentic content over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. I think he's done And keep well. it original and also keep that audience. Yeah, without yeah, because if you change your content, your audience will probably change with it, and a lot of YouTube uh, YouTubers suffer from that because they change the content too much too quickly and lose the audience they had. Mm-hmm. That's why somebody like PewDiePie with over 100 million subscribers generally does not get 100 million views per video. Changes content one too many times, and uh, I think he learned that early on to retain the same viewership you have to keep making similar but slightly changing videos so that people that liked your old content transition to the new content mm-hmm. i agree with that like this frame's going to be pretty jarring That's for why f- we're never going to change we're going to have the exact same videos the, every single week <laughs> even though we change the format every single yeah. week that has never happened the format's exactly the same <laughs> so how many knee slaps do you, yeah, do you give energy awesome. What? How many knee slaps are you going to give ABGN? Oh, he gets three for me. <laughs> I want to um, I wanna actually pull up a Scott the Waz video and have him saying knee slaps in this video, so I'll cut this part out real quick. <laughs> there it is. So Ready? it is out of five, so five is the top, yeah. How many knee slaps are you going to give him? I'm going to do three. Really? Just three? For ABGN? Alright, I'll do five so I can be with the video. I thought you did four. 
Oh well, ready? I do. Spread out across their three consoles at the time. This is definitely one of their better showings. So I would give AVGN five knee slaps out of five. That dude is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's some weak knee slaps. Weak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that is Tuber Tuesday with the Grillcast. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Will. And we will see you next Grillcast. See you later, Krill. It is. Yeah. It's a a Krill without the K. This is the Krillcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. Whoa. And this is Wildcard Wednesdays. Okay, what are we talking about Wildcard Wednesdays, Chris? My screen did something strange when you were saying it's Wildcard Wednesday. But, okay, we're going to be talking about downloadable content and microtransactions. Both of they which suck. are bad words in my book. But let's see, uh, let's see what the origin is here, right? Downloadable content. I believe that came first. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't ever remember microtransactions before downloadable content. At least not on home consoles. Exactly. So, precursors to DLC. The earliest form of downloadable content were offerings of full games, such as on the Atari 2600 game line service, which allowed users to download games using a telephone line. A similar mm-hmm. service, Sega Channel, allowed for the downloading of games to the Sega Genesis over a cable line. However, there was no save feature, so once you turned off your system, it would delete the game. Yeah, because it would load it into your RAM. Um, yeah. Let's see here. On personal computers, with popularity and speed of the ni- n- internet, the n- internet connections arose. So did the popularity of the using the internet for digital distribution of media. The user-created game mods and maps were distributed exclusively online as they were mainly created by people without infrastructure capable of distributing the content through physical media. In 1997, CaveDog offered a new unit every month as free downloadable content for their real-time strategy computer game, Total Annihilation. That's probably the earliest I've ever heard of downloadable content existing on a computer. It's usually Mm with RTSs back in the day, like Age of Empires would have expansions. Um, Yep. Bethesda really started it on consoles with the Elder Scrolls games. Horse Armor DLC. Which was <laughs> immediately hacked and put out for everybody to grab. But. Yeah, but before that, I remember getting the uh, Halo 2 map packs on, on my Xbox. And you could actually buy the separate disc for it, which I didn't realize that's what that was, but I actually downloaded mine from the internet. For Halo 2? Mm-hmm. How'd you do that? It was... Uh, you can go to like the when you you know boot up the game and you go to Xbox Live. There was a little oh. section for like downloadable content. And you can download the map packs, it's like the Beastacular pack, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had um, I had the disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what the disc was, and I remember trying to buy it by itself 
or rent it by itself, and the, uh, the guy wouldn't let me do it. My uh, first experience with Halo DLC was actually uh, Halo um, Combat Evolved on the PC. There were quite a few downloadable maps, actually, for that, believe it or not. I don't know if you would be aware of that. But um, they definitely were never on the Xbox, to my knowledge. Yeah, I don't know about the first Halo game, but definitely the second Halo game, I downloaded the map packs. And then I also downloaded uh, free content for Zoo Tycoon on the computer. Um, You can get, like, the Yeti and the Mexican restaurant as a downloadable content for free. So I never really had an issue with DLC until this controversial topic came up. There were games shipping that had the DLC on the disc locked to the user. And you could not use that DLC unless you paid for it. Something that was physically already on the disc. Mm -hmm. You could not use it unless you paid extra money to unlock the content on the disc. Which is super scummy and of course it was EA and Bioware with Mass Effect 3. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there was questioning on some other games as to whether or not content on the disc was locked out after the game was launched due to updates to the game. Yeah, like Destiny. Exactly. So, here's my opinion on DLC. I don't mind good DLC. And by good, I mean Mass Effect 2 style DLC, where it adds a whole other chapter to the game. Mm with a start and a finish that connects to the actual story without dragging you too far away from the content you already have or like an Age of Empires expansion which actually or has... the Witcher 3 which is like a whole other game can I finish? you're doing what I do nope or like an Age of Empires where you have an entire extra campaign that has nothing it doesn't have to do with the first campaign but it expands the game by a large margin those types of DLC I am good with. Um, it's this locked on the disc DLC or like a character that you couldn't have unless you pay an extra five bucks <laughs> or um, DLC that's not actually DLC, like horse armor DLC, mm-hmm. which is basically, in my opinion, a skin and a microtransaction type of deal, but not really because it's like 10 bucks. It's almost a macro transaction at that point. <laughs> um, but I don't mind DLC when it's done correctly. Now we're going to get to the, the thing that I really dislike after Will tells me what he thinks of downloadable content. Alright, well, um, I completely agree with you. If it's, uh, I guess it might be a personal thing where it actually becomes worth it, but good content. So, you know, DLC, like you, know, you mentioned the games you are talking about, but also The Witcher 3, where you can essentially add on a whole other campaign. Um... You know, and you know, paying for that makes sense because you already have a great base game. So if you don't want to pay for it, you still you have a full game already. It really is an add-on to the game at that point. What's really frustrating me is when they use DLC to finish a game. So you've bought full, a game at full price, it's not finished, and then they want you to pay for DLC that should have already been in the game, and it's an exorbitant amount of money. <laughs> yes. uh, so a lot of companies are doing that now. Um, and it's, it's just terrible business practice. Just, you know, take the extra couple of months to put out a full game. And then, you know, if you want to have DLC on top of that, that's fine. And the thing is, with microtransactions, I'm okay with it again. I hate them on console, but I can accept it as far as it is just like cosmetic items. 
but now they have it where it's linked to progression in some games. Um, they lock behind, or there's certain content where they know that you want it. So, you know, maybe in previous games, that was like the first character you would get. But now, that character is locked behind a paywall. So you have to pay to get, say, Darth Vader or something. Um, it, that's ridiculous. Uh, so the, they're just trying to figure out ways of pumping out games faster without finishing them and getting more money. Exactly. So the, both microtransactions and DLC at one time was okay, but every time I hear that word now, it, it makes me feel sick. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind me adding on to that, I totally forgot about DLC to finish the game, where it's not actually like optional, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead Rising 4 had the most egregious DLC I have ever seen on a game. They essentially said... Here's the ending, but it was a horrible ending. They let the main character, spoiler alert, they let the main character straight up die and become a zombie. And then they created this DLC called Frank Rising, which is the true ending to the game, which is the one that's going to be canon. If you're going Mm -hmm. to have a DLC ending, it better be an alternate, not canon ending. Yep. And then they did the same, they actually did something similar with Dead Rising 2. They released a prequel... And I didn't mind this as much, but if you don't know what happened in the um, not epilogue, the epilogue is what I'm going to call it, the post-game DLC, mm-hmm. then parts of Dead Rising 3 aren't going to make sense, and parts of Dead Rising 4 aren't going to make sense storyline-wise. So if you actually care about the ridiculous story behind the Dead Rising games then you're going to miss out on it. And I think that's ridiculous, too. At least do what Mass Effect 2 did when they released on the PS3 and give us the comic in the beginning so that people who care about the story, if you're going to do this DLC beginning end crap, mm-hmm. at least give the people the story so they can follow the plot. I agree with that. Microtransactions, the dirtiest word in the industry. <laughs> so... I never really noticed microtransactions, to be entirely honest, until I started seeing free-to-play games. Yeah. And if it's a free-to-play game, I understand the logic behind microtransactions. You're getting content for free, and they have to make money somehow. And advertising can only do so much. So, like, Clash of Clans is my first experience where I really saw microtransactions. You could get these gems to upgrade your buildings faster... You could get uh, various upgrades quicker, and you could buy specialized artwork content. None, none of it really impacted how I played because even though you could get things faster, it elevated you to another tier. So you were competing with people on the same tier as you, mm-hmm. and it was still competitively equal for the people you were facing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that was my first real experience was. Uh, Clash of Clans, and I found out really quickly that spending money does not make a good game with microtransactions. Because I spent, I don't know, I bought like a, a pack, it was like a normally $20 pack, I got it for 2 bucks. Because they do that to trick you into buying it. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it worked on me once, and I learned my lesson. And I have not bought really any microtransaction related stuff in a long time. But that's kind of my experience, learning about microtransactions in the first place. When would you say the first time you noticed microtransactions was well? Same thing on a mobile phone. So I don't know. I don't remember what game it was, but 
uh, was a Candy Crush type game where essentially you could, you know, pay to get more gems or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so you could pay. The thing is, I never had any money, so it was never something that was alluring to me. Uh, I guess the first time that really I was tempted to buy microtransactions would be in Halo 5, where, you know, in previous Halos, you earned the armor uh, through uh, achievements or something you did in the campaign or something like that, or like a Vidoc, not a Vidoc, but the Vidmaster Challenge. Oh, right, right. And uh, so, you know, you have to buy those rec, pack na- rec packs now to get those armor sets. So there's a, there's a time where I might have spent a couple dollars trying to get a certain armor that I wanted, and I felt so sick after. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what they are trying to do is get uh, nostalgic Halo fans to dish out money for these things that we used to be able to earn. Um, and it's all randomized, so you can't actually purchase exactly what you want, which is also something really frustrating about microtransactions is that randomization. Um, and I guess it's getting more into loot boxes now, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gambling. Surprise mechanics. Digital gambling. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that doesn't, did you see the response that uh, the ESRB had about the um, digital gambling in... Uh, NBA 2020, I guess. No, I didn't. Uh, Basically, well, did you? All right. So, did you see the outrage about the fact that they actually have a slot machine in the game? Yes, I did see that. So, there. Did you did you see the reveal of how they actually rate games and the process that they do it with? They don't don't play the video game. Don't they usually have the um, the developer give them an overview of what the game is and then kind of 20 minute video self police yep. essentially it's yeah. a 20 minute video they send to ESRB well think about and how many they... games they rate in a year and how many people they actually have on staff I mean it, it would be crazy to think that they play I understand I, I get the concept and why they would do that but AAA but... games probably deserve at least 10 minutes of gameplay yeah seriously how would you how would you know what's in it <laughs> right 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 so they, yeah. I mean, they could just say, "Here, here, here's the movie, and or the movie, here's the game." Throw them a mixtape with like, I don't know, Snoop Dogg rapping, and like, "What is this?" Okay, um, <laughs> rated M. I, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> it's Snoopy yeah. Snoop's it's Snoopy Snoop's Shotgun Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the reason why I brought that up though is that developers have realized that they can put the microtransactions in after the game is released because mm-hmm. it's already rated. Yes. So it can still be E for everyone, even though there is, um, and not have the warning about in-game purchases. And that's um, that's where I have a problem with with that practice, because if a game is rated M and a parent buys it for their kid anyways, that's a conscious decision by the parent to let their kids be exposed to that content. If it's rated E for everyone and it has content like loot boxes and gambling, and that is not explicitly stated in the game on the game box, in the artwork, on the ESRB rating, that is, I think that's a lawsuit um, mm-hmm. waiting, waiting to happen. Because if it's rated M and I buy it for my kid, that's on me. If it's rated E and I buy it for my kid, that's on the developer, the publisher, and the ESRB. Yep. I agree. Parents, do your research. <laughs> but uh, microtransactions in general... On a free-to-play game, I'm fine with it. That's the business model. That's what you have to do. On a $60 game that I have brought home, Madden, on my loading screens, I see advertisements 
I see this Madden card, digital card game thing. I see this All-Star Hall of Fame thing. Basically the whole title screen except for franchise, online play, and then like single match. And maybe like season, I think you might still have season mode. And then there is a single player mode on 19, I want to say. Other than those five modes, like every other square on that is some microtransaction, some advertisement... Yeah. Or something you can buy. And it's like, I didn't pay $60 to pay more money. It's like I didn't spend... So just for example, a, year, a couple of years back, my wife and I went to Cedar Point, And we found out really quickly you can't put like your cell phone and your hat and your backpack in the bins anymore. So every ride required a microtransaction to put mm. our stuff in a locker. They have fixed this since I've been told. Uh, but at the time, I was like, I'm never going back here again. Microtransactions at a roller coaster park? If I have to pay $2 per ride after I paid $60 to get in, that's mm. ridiculous. And that's yeah. a one-day thing. Yeah, well, they're preying on little kids, in all honesty. I mean, who else is going to fall victim to that but kids who can use their parents' credit cards to spend mm-hmm. a couple thousand dollars in a night <laughs> trying to get that player that they want? I think that you can't even get all of the players without uh, purchasing them now. Well, it'd take an, an exorbitant amount of time to unlock enough points to get all of the players. Yeah, which is ridiculous. I remember when I was playing Madden, like, you know, 2008, 2009, you would get all of the teams, and you would have all of the modes, mm-hmm. and there's no microtransactions. It's just a full game. It's great. That's why Madden 08 is great. Thanks, Scott the Wise, for pointing that out to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I uh, I have a... I'm 50-50 on DLC and microtransactions. There can be good DLC, and there can be not-in-your-face microtransactions that I don't care about. They might be required for a free-to-play game, and DLC may make a game better. So, in that respect, I don't have a problem with them. It's when you use that to further your agenda with making tons and tons and tons of money on top of the money you're already making on a $60 game or leaving content out that should have been there in the first place. That's when I have an issue with both microtransactions and DLC. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Anyway, this is the uh, this has been an episode of Wildcard Wednesday with the Crowcast. I'm Chris. I'm Will. And we will catch you next Crowcast. The Krillcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. You're talking like a robot because I do? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Throwback Thursdays presented by The Krillcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. It was originally released on April, or nope, <laughs> uh, October 11, 2004.
which is exactly 15 years minus a couple days. Uh, or no, plus a couple days. It's exactly from, 15 years, except it's not. Except it's not. A couple days off, like four days. Um, we originally intended to record this on the 15-year anniversary, but we didn't make yeah. it. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Paper Mario series. Uh, it's an RPG that I hold close to my heart in gaming. Um, I absolutely love the Paper Mario series. I love the art style. Um, the original two. So I guess the first two Paper Marios I like. Um, Paper Mar- Super, Super Paper Mario is okay. Um, anyways, so they were really like RPGs, like sequels to... Uh, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. In fact, I would say Paper Mario almost mirrors that by having the star, uh, the stars as being the people you have to rescue. Um, I think that was kind of a callback to Super Mario RPG. Uh, sure the first was. one was originally released on the N64, and this one was released on the GameCube in 2004. And it happens to be the best Paper Mario as voted by many, many, many reviewers I've seen on YouTube. Yep. I think most people are disappointed by just about every other one that came out after those. Super Paper Mario is okay. I, I will <laughs> say, that game, it's not a Paper Mario RPG game, but it is okay. And it's got some RPG elements to it. But it's Everyone not, hates Color Smash, though, right? Color Splash? Or... Pretty much everything after Super Paper Mario is uh, unquestionably worse than the original Paper <laughs> Mario games. In every way. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in, in this game, they actually did something different. They uh, they changed the format of the battles, where they added, like, an audience. Like, people are watching this on a screen, which is really different, because in the first game, it was just, like, you know, two-on-two, two-on-four. You know, you had your character and a partner, and then however many enemies you were fighting. And then it's, on this game, now the audience is, is just a weird thing, because, like, you're showing off to the audience on every single... Uh, Every single battle, and they clap. Does it add to the gameplay at all? Occasionally, occasionally, um, there are some elements to it that the audience adds, and I cannot remember off the top of my head what those are. But essentially, this game is—it um, is literally a direct sequel to Paper Mario, um, and all the characters have. Uh, he goes to a different land essentially, and he follows a similar story to uh, the original game. And it's not an easy game to come by nowadays because, and this scrolling is going to drive people nuts, I'm sure, hmm. uh, because it's such a great and beloved game, it's selling for a lot more money. So 50 bucks, 70 bucks, you know, 299 because it's brand new sealed, $300 And what price sealed. is it worth it, would you say? I want to say I picked up my copy for 35 bucks. I would say anything under 40 would be worth it. Um, okay. But if you really want it badly, even up to 60 would probably still be worth it. If it's only a game that you're planning to get to sit on a shelf, um, I would not recommend paying any more than 40 okay. Good to know. There you go, well, $40 Canada, shipping now for 6 bucks. Send it to me. My birthday's coming up. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Chop, chop. Um... But yeah, so uh, Super Paper Mario, uh, backwards from that, you got Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, and backwards from that, you got the original on the N64. And the N64 is much more accessible because it's available on the Wii, if you know how to get it on there now that the Wii eShop is closed. It was also available on the Wii U 
um, for like five bucks, seven bucks, something like that. It's it's really um, not that expensive. I know I picked it up. I played through it. I loved every second of it. And uh, the N64 version is not that long. You can get through it in probably under 20 hours. Oh, okay. If it's I... not your first time, probably 12 hours like I did. <laughs> like four nights of gameplay, I was done. <laughs> but I loved every second of it. I loved the original two Paper Mario games. Um, and I think Will should try both of them. But start with the N64 version and see if it's a format that works for you. Yeah, I'm good. Speaking of RPGs, how far along are you in Fire Emblem? Not that far. <laughs> <laughs> I basically, um, so the last time you asked me that, I haven't played it since then. So you're still at like... I think I'm like an hour and a half in. Oh, you said that's, 17 that's hours it. in last time. I did not say 17 hours. Yeah, you said, you said 70, 72 minutes, maybe is what you said. 72 minutes, that sounds more like... <laughs> definitely, I definitely didn't say 17 hours. <laughs> I'm trying to get Will into RPGs, so we might cover some more on Throwback Thursdays in the future. Mm-hmm. Anyways... Yeah, uh, I play Western RPGs. Right, 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 right. I'm talking about JRPGs. Although, mm-hmm. Paper Mario, not so much. <laughs> no, like, that's just like its own thing. That's yeah, it, own it really, Mario is his own thing. Japanese company makes it, but Mario is Mario. As always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And we will see you... On the next Crowcast. Tomorrow. Cast. I'm Chris. I'm Will. And this is Fandom Fridays. What do we do on Fandom Fridays? What do we do on Fandom Fridays, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We basically talk about, you know, we used to talk about currently playing latest pickups and recommendations, and then that got really long-winded. So today, we're going to pick and choose, and we're going to do latest pickups. Will's going to talk about what he's currently playing, and then we're going to recommend some games. Alright, so... Uh, I'm not going to talk about these because I think everybody knows what this is, but my brother just handed these to me the other day, and him and I played these a lot. They were a lot of fun, couch co-op. Um, I, I, if this was my recommendation, I would just say, dude, play this in a room with your friend. So much fun local co-op. And then a lesser-known game, but kind of, it usually comes up on like rare games for the GameCube, but it's actually not that prohibitively expensive. Goblin Commander, and it, it came out on the PS2 and the Xbox as well. Um, it only barely came out on the GameCube because um, I actually don't know why. It sounds like there was some controversy surrounding development for the game, and it barely kind of it runs on the GameCube, but barely. It's got some really long load screens, um, and I guess I'll just pull it up. I, I thought, if I remember correctly, what kind of gameplay is it? It's like a so it's like the only real RTS. On uh, on the GameCube. Hmm. It's also on the PS2 and the Xbox, if I remember correctly. Um, I can't remember how much this actually costs. Goblin Commander. Yeah, so it's like... I'll show you the manual. 
remember it was very hard for us to find it in the first place. Why is the... Hmm. Uh, the Skype is still working, but apparently... I'm just going to stop the stream. We're not going to worry about the stream. Yeah, it's just not that prohibitively expensive. It's like 20 bucks. Yeah. I remember when we got it brand new, it was like 40 but... Um, actually, I, what am I doing? I don't have to show you the game. I can just show you gameplay on here. <laughs> I'm not going to cut, like, anything out of these episodes unless we have to. Like, AVGN, I'll cut out the F word, and that's it. <laughs> um, let's see. Goblin, Commander, GameCube. Uh, here. This should be okay. And we'll mute it. So, this is what it kind of looks like. It's it's like an R uh, RTS, like Age of Empires or the other games, but it's on the GameCube. So, it's yeah. like pre-Halo Wars RTS on a console. You walk around, you guide your units. It's kind of a hard game to play on the GameCube, to be totally honest with you. It only works so well. <laughs> as well as it can work on a GameCube, I guess. Um, so would you recommend buying it on another system, then? No. <laughs> no, I would not. Um, okay. But if you have nostalgia or you've played it before and you know what you're in for, then go ahead and get it. It's, it's about the same as it was back when I played it the first time. Um, what about you, Will? What are you currently playing? Well, currently I've gone back to playing The Witcher 2. So the reason why I took such a long hiatus on that game is because I got stuck in this one spot and I, where you're sneaking through a camp, and if you get spotted, you get shot with arrows in this uh, cutscene, and I accidentally saved right before I got shot. Oh, so no. I kept, like, it was just a loop. I just kept getting killed. Um, so I, I finally just went ahead and... Um, essentially restarted like 30 minutes prior to that point and have now finally gotten back up to it. <laughs> um, but I'm not only playing that game, but highly recommend it um, on the 360s when I'm playing it. There are uh, quite a few glitches. Basically every time you die, there's like in, there's like a cutscene for when you die a lot of times and then you can hear in the background where your character keeps getting stabbed and, and, and killed even though it's loading and it says game over. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's pretty funny. Um, and then another game that I'm not playing right now, but I recommend, is... The Hulk? Really? Hulk Ultimate Smash. Really? On the original Xbox. Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain it came out on other systems, because it's not inclusive. Um, however, this game is wickedly fun. <laughs> it really makes you feel like you're playing against the Hulk. So a lot of the environment is just uh, destructible. Um, a lot of the objects that you interact with, so like rock formations or cars you can turn into other weapons and you can also play golf with like boulders in the Grand Canyon and you can change the color of your outfit so you what can have say, American side boxers say again? What you say it's the called game was... uh, The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction okay that is the one I'm looking at then whoops yeah. that's not what I wanted you know what I think my nephew had this game yeah, it's great. <laughs> it looks pretty fun. Yeah. And even playing it today, the graphics aren't great, but it's not prohibitive at all. Um, so you can still see what's going on. It doesn't make you sick or anything like that. Like some of the N64 games do. Oh, man. Going back to some of those games is very hard. This was good. Are you recommending uh, books today, too, or no? 
your laptop is taking off like a jet. <laughs> um, yes. What, what, My uh, laptop is from the same time this game came out, so. <laughs> what uh, what book did you want to recommend, Will? Um, I'm going to recommend um, Prey by Michael Crichton. Is this, is this actually pronounced Crichton? I've always heard it Crichton. Yeah, Matt, Madeline pronounced it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> She's not the only one I've heard that from. Yeah, I know. I, the thing is, like, Claire did the same thing, so this is, I've always heard Crichton. So I looked it up, and Crichton is actually how you pronounce it. Cri- Crichton, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got some good stuff. Um, Malin likes his uh, uh, illness and disease related books. Yeah. And there's a couple authors she spun off from there that she's read. Like she read one about Ebola lately, and I'm just like, yep, I'm good <laughs> not learning about Ebola right now. Yeah, I like Michael Crichton books because there's a little touch of realism to it, so you can mm-hmm. almost think that it's gonna it can happen. That's pretty cool. He did a lot uh, of another book that I recommend is Rant. Rant? By Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk. I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's the same author that wrote um, uh, Fight Club. You said it's called Rant? Rant. An oral biography of Richard Ca- uh, Buster Casey? Yeah, it's really good. It's very strange, though. But it's just like Fight Club. So if you like Fight Club... And that kind of story structure, you'll like Rant as well. Hmm. Okay. He goes around and like, there's like this weird like uh, game that he plays where he, like he can like crash the cars on the highway, and then he tries to infect people with uh, rabies. <laughs> I can't see where you're highlighting. <laughs> it says Rant discovers the toxic spider bites cause him to get an erection. <laughs> Doesn't that do that to everybody? Well, it's like there was an episode of A Thousand Ways to Die where they actually had the exact same thing happen and he died at the end of it, but uh, he definitely had the problem that they describe in every single um, Viagra commercial. Wow, okay. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Just I'm reading nope, this and it. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very strange book, but I found it very entertaining. Um, so, my recommendation... Um, I'm not going to recommend a book because I'm still reading Hardwired, which Will has yet to read. I know, but the thing is that there is a bookstore right next to my new apartment. I want to go get it tomorrow. I'm going to recommend. I'm going to recommend this series of games. Oh, I've never heard of those games before. Please tell me about them. Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. It was the first exposure I had to Bioware ever, and it was their collaboration with. Lucas Arts to create the original Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, um, for the original Xbox and uh, BioWare's system. Albeit that was more of a uh, not real time and, and not um, combat. It was more of turn based fighting, which is not was not carried on to the Mass Effect series. Uh, was really appealing to me at the time because it was almost like. Pokemon with lightsabers. You, know, you level up your character. For me, that's what it was because I graduated from Pokemon to playing Star Wars Nice Little Republic and then from there I went to tactical RPGs like Fire Emblem, which was an RPG with a grid. This is like RPG with like real-time mechanics where you're moving around and you could run away from your characters so like you could avoid the turn-based combat if you really wanted to to do range or melee you know, melee, whatever you want to call it um, Maybe. Oh my god. 
<laughs> I can't wait to send that, whatever. Uh, but I, I absolutely love Knights of the Republic, and the ability at the time when I was like at peak Star Wars fandom to be a Jedi or a Sith, of course, always a Jedi, but uh, it was like one of the most cool experiences I ever had in video gaming. Why is it not showing... Oh, I need to write Xbox in there, because otherwise it's showing the old Republic. Original Xbox trailer. I want to see this, because I never did see this back in the day. I'm about to get hyped. Mm-hmm. It'll make me want to play the game. See what they say. Is this ever going to... Oh my god. Mm. Yep. Yep. And you could like corrupt her too. That was the that was the funniest part of the whole game. Like if you became oh, a you Sith. Can corrupt her, huh? You can make her a Sith. She turns on all the Jedi. Mm-hmm. They need to either remaster this game or make a third one. Or do both. Well, the Old Republic's supposed to be the third one, and that's kind of frustrating to me because it's an MMO. It's it's lost yeah. it's it's lost its kind of single player sense of purpose. It's just not as good. Mm-hmm. And Billy Billy and I hashed this out when it was him and I on the Krillcast that one week. Yeah. Um, and he disagreed. He thought the Old Republic was good, but we agreed on the same point that like when everyone is the chosen one in an MMO, kind of loses its special. Like it's not special. Yeah. And there's seven chosen ones who defeat the dragon at the same time. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, if they, if, if Halo hadn't done it where they had, um, in the cutscenes, if you had four Master Chiefs, how, how weird would that look? Yeah, it would look very, very strange. <laughs> Anyways, um, what about you, Will? Any other recommendations? Um... No, not for this week. I don't want to overload people. So just the, you know, the typical original Xbox game and a 360 game. <laughs> I will eventually branch out and recommend other systems, but not right now. Hey, when are you going to come get that Xbox hat? I got you. That's a good question. Well, right now, I'm very far away, I know but I will eventually be down there. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And we will catch you on the next Crowcast. Stay tuned for Spud Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe it's Spud Sundays. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. <laughs>